All right, all right. Ready to get into the Word of God? You guys ready? All right. Let's get into the Word. If you would stand with me, we're going to read in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 29. Uh, before we do, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read. How about that? Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters here, God. I thank you uh, that you have given us the opportunity uh, to worship you this morning, to get into your word, to uh, unpack what you have written to us uh, that we might be uh, more conformed uh, to who you have called us to be, more conformed to the image of the Son. I pray, God, that as the word goes forth this morning, that it would be effective. We know that it will. That it would call unbelievers to yourself and that it would sharpen and equip believers in the room that they might be uh, better able to go out and do the work of the ministry, um, building the kingdom and effectively combating the world uh, for Christ. We thank you uh, that you are going to do this this morning despite us. Uh, and and we're, for that, we're grateful. Uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As you continue to stand on your feet, let's read. It's like, whoop. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. We're reading about the letter to the church at Thyatira. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faithful ser and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a, onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead." And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your own works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you, have, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Well, this is definitely one of the longest letters written to any of the churches. I think it is the longest letter. And it's written to Thyatira. And this is a city, this is a church in, in this city who uh, suffers uh, in large part the same as Pergamum. Uh, the same type of persecution uh, as Pergamon, the same type of temptations, but I would suggest a little farther advanced, a little farther along than those in Pergamum as far as how compromised they have become. 
And, and, and I would say that we have seen this same emphasis and this same type of message throughout the uh, letters to these churches. There's, one, there's been one theme, seemingly to me, there's been several different themes in different churches and, and definitely different highlights and different uh, ex explicit problems with each church. But one theme that we've seen so far in these letters, in my opinion, is this theme of, of the Christian compromising and this being a problem within every one of these churches or the potential to compromise their beliefs in Jesus Christ. We see them being uh, uh, pushed and prodded and, and called not to compromise. We see them being rebuked for their compromise. Uh, we see them uh, absolutely being called to repentance, as we saw last week, to the letter at the church in Pergamum, we see them being called to repent because they have not judged those who are compromising and called them to uh, leave or uh, escape this false teaching and their compromise with the culture. Now, a lot of this compromise is due to worldly gain and worldly status. Now, we've talked about this many times here. We'll talk about it again today because as we see in, in these cultures and in this time in history, well, it, it, this has been true in many times in history, but it's absolutely true in this time in history that, that if you wanted to be a part of the professional atmosphere, if you, wanted to, uh, if you wanted to exercise and be able to uh, trade with the local trade guilds and you wanted to be able to do business with, with other people that were involved in different types of organizations and guilds and, and, and temples and worship, then you would, have to, uh, you would have to absolutely compromise what you believed in order to trade and buy at the same level as everyone else. You would experience uh, persecution if you were to uh, disrespect or separate yourself from uh, the worship of these things because they would look down on you. They would, they would absolutely judge you and cast you out. You would be ostracized from the local community of trade and business and finances and, and food. It would be hard to eat. And so we see that there is a big, uh, there's a big temptation to compromise with the cultures and the idol worship around you in order that you could maintain status in that community. Sound familiar? We're in this same type of situation where we are. Now, it's not, it's not near as bad here in the Bible Belt. We have other issues that we're dealing with. But we do still see it some here. It's creeping here. But we absolutely see it getting really bad in other places and in other countries. We talked a little bit about that last week. Well, this morning I want to, uh, I want to kind of continue on in that same vein. And I want to show you the warning to those who continue on in this compromising spirit, in this compromising uh, attitude, and, 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 and this inability or actually... It would be more of an unwillingness to separate or make yourself distinct from the culture for personal gain. So let's look at what Christ says uh, to the church at Thyatira. We'll start in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
Every week we have talked about how the introduction to this letter is uh, essential and crucial to understand just exactly what is meant by the letter and how Jesus Christ will be the solution to the problem that is presented in the letter. And so we've seen how all of these introductory phrases or all of these attributes of Christ that are highlighted at the beginning of these letters are all drawn almost entirely from chapter 1, the vision of the Son of God or the Son of Man. Man, as it said in chapter one. Well, here it's no different. It says the word. This is this is a description of who Christ is, a partial description of who Christ is, an acknowledgement of certain attributes of Christ that are going to be uh, needed and applied to the problems that are seen in the church in order to combat or overcome these issues and to be who God's called them to be. So it says here, it says, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, I thought this was very interesting as I did my study through uh, different commentaries, through the Word of God itself, and going back through some of the Old Testament and some of the Old Testament usage and allusions that we find here. Many of this, uh, these allusions are found in books like Daniel or Ezekiel or some of the Psalms, Zechariah. We see this right here uh, this, when it says, the words of the Son of God. Now, one thing about when it says the words of the Son of God, if we go back to chapter 1, we see that the vision, it doesn't say that it's the Son of God, but Christ is referred to as what? Anybody read ahead? Man, for real. So in chapter 1, it says, and in the midst of the lamp stands one like a Son of Man. One like a Son of Man. But we see in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 7 that we see that Daniel uses the son of man. You remember that there was one in the, in the fiery furnace that was one like the son of God or the son of gods. And we see also in Daniel he refers to uh, this Messiah, this, this, this man as the son of man. And I think that what John is doing here, and I agree with several of the commentators, I agree with what he is doing here, is he's drawing forth this picture of Jesus Christ is not just the son of man. He's not only fully man, which we absolutely believe that he is not only fully man and capable and, and able to sympathize with you in your struggles, with you in your pain, with you in your trials and even your temptations, but he is God in the flesh who has come to relieve us and set us free from sin that we might overcome these things. Several other cultural things that this might speak to as John is living in this culture. Uh, I thought this fact was very interesting is that many of the emperors in that time were deified, meaning that they were, uh, they were seen as gods. And this would play right in line with what we see in these uh, letters and in these cultures is that uh, the, the emperors were almost enthroned as gods. There was temples built to him. If you remember, Pergamum was the first place where uh, a temple was built or a throne was set up to uh, an emperor, okay? And so what we see here is that many of the emperors were deified as gods. So it would make sense as John is calling them to steadfastness and repentance that he would say that, that I know that the culture is calling you to worship other gods with a little g, but I'm saying to you that you are to worship the Son of God, which is a parallel. It is, it is to equate God, Jesus, with God himself. As we understand, Jesus is absolutely God. One other thing that I thought was absolutely interesting, and it just shows you how prevalent this type of thinking was in this day, is that uh, 
there was a uh, there was a there was a ruler, his name was Domitian, and his son was on the coin that was used in that day, in this city, in this time. He died in AD 83, and if, if what I have taught at the beginning of this letter, that this letter is written somewhere around 95 or 96 AD, somewhere around in there, then this coin would have more than likely been in circulation in this time. And this picture of, uh, of Domitian's son is a picture of him sitting on a globe surrounded by seven stars. But what is, what is John depicting Christ as? The son of God who holds the seven stars in his hand. You see what John is doing. He is saying that I know you're tempted to worship this little God. But let me tell you, he's nothing. That we are to worship Christ, who is God, who holds the stars in his hand. You see, the God that I proclaim to you today isn't, he isn't on par with Satan and he's in a little battle. You know, he's shooting water guns at him. But he is the dominant creator of the universe, the creator of all things, even the creator of Satan himself, who is a created being. And he answers to Christ for everything. So we see John here drawing out that Jesus Christ is God. He says, after that, he says, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. These are all attributes of judgment. Uh, these are all attributes of, uh, of not just judgment as if to, to say Christ is going to, he's going to kill you. Well, obviously that Christ will destroy anyone and everyone who is opposed to him in that final day. Okay? We already know that. But here what this judgment is, it's not just a condemning judgment, but it is a revealing judgment. It is a judgment that draws out a dividing line. When he says he has eyes like a flame of fire, these eyes that are a flame of fire, they pierce all the way down. And they are able to distinguish and separate out those who are true believers and those who are not. Because, see, there's many people who proclaim with their mouth, but their hearts have never been changed. We talked about that a good bit last week. And we said that all of these things in here are drawing out dividing lines, drawing out dividing lines. And when Christ says things, uh, or writes them through John, things like, for those who suffer even unto death, I will give a crown of life. You see, it's those who persevere to the end. I meet so many Christians who they wouldn't die for Christ. They, they don't even tithe for Christ. They don't even, they don't, they don't even uh, separate themselves from, from, from dirty jokes in the workplace for Christ. You think this is just silly little stuff. But Christ says, unless you stand for me and you uh, ultimately even die for me, you cannot have the kingdom. But we think, and, I, and I listen, I'm in this camp too. I have to reflect on these truths too. You're riding down the road and, and you get the desire to do something that you shouldn't. You're, you're in your room at night. You're, you're there at your, 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 your office, at your desk, at your computer, and this temptation overcomes you. And, and, and you say, well, I'm not a compromiser. I've never killed Christians. I've never, I've never persecuted Christians. Man, uh, uh, one of the brothers here on Wednesday night prayer group brought an absolutely ridiculous word Wednesday night. He said this, smack me in the mouth. He said this. He said, every time 
every time that you tap onto that website, every time that you compromise your faith in Christ for selfish gain or that you wouldn't offend the world, you offend God every time you uh, don't offend the world. He said this. He said, every time that you sin willingly in that way, you crucify the Son all over again. That's the Scriptures. That's the Scriptures. Now, to put this in in realm of how much you don't care. David, come up here. Bring your boy with you. Bring your boy with you. Yeah, you can hug your daddy. It's all right. If it's true... That every time you sin, you crucify the Son of God all over again. If, if it's true that every time you sin, this is what brought death to Christ, then you, then you sin in such a way that causes death, but yet you seem to not care. But now, what if, and this is to draw out whether or not it's real to you, what if I was faced with a decision? I could click onto the website, or I could cheat on my taxes, or I could lie, I could whatever, name a sin. But I knew that if I commit that sin, his son would die. His, this boy right here, would you do it? If you knew that moment in that instant, if you commit that sin, that boy will die. His son will die. Would you do it? Thanks, brother. But yet we don't even hesitate. We don't even hesitate to go ahead and click on that site, to go ahead and, and tell that lie, to go ahead and compromise for your well-being, to compromise so that you can make that extra dollar, to compromise so that you can fill in the blank. What perspective are you, are you viewing this from? Do you feel the weight of the crucifixion of the Son of God? You see, Christ sees through all of this. He has eyes like a flame of fire that burn away every lie, every excuse, every fluff, everything that you think that you've got everybody fooled with. You might have everybody around you fooled, but it will not fool those eyes that see because they will not last through the fire. The excuses will not last through the fire. He says, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. You see, I can't help but get this picture of these eyes. They carve away everything that's not meant to be there. And the feet of bronze pound and smash into grape juice everything that remains or was found to be unfaithful. You see, Christ here is is calling, or John here is reminding us that Christ is the one who can see through all of the baloney. He can see through all of the excuses. He can see through all of the mess and then do what needs to be done with the things that didn't make it. And then after this, he says, I know your works. You see, nothing is, nothing is hidden. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. I found this 
amazingly awesome. Because the scriptures are so tied together. It's so magnificent how they're interwoven through everything that, that, that God is writing and everything that God is calling us and showing us and calling us to be. It is amazing how the threads just run through. We already saw as we got into chapter 2 the work of the Ephesians, the problem with the Ephesian church, and what was the problem with the Ephesian church? Is that they were really good in doctrine, they were really good theologically, but they had forgotten their first love. They have left their first love. Love. And we said that this leaving of the first love was, was this abandonment of who Christ was and that passionate reply or this, this passionate response to Christ in our outward movement in the proclamation of the gospel to the world. So the way that that looked, if you leave your first love, the way that that looks is, is that you are not moving outward for Christ anymore. If you remember really quickly, we said that that if you are in love with something, if you fall in love with something, then it automatically and necessarily follows that you will then cry out for that something in, on any level too. So you go to a new restaurant and you just love their steaks. What's the first thing you want to do? Well, it was go tell somebody, but not anymore. What's the first thing you want to do? You take a picture of it. And put it on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or something like that. And what are you saying? Look, everyone, look, everyone, look at this. This is amazing. You, 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 you go see a good movie, right? You go see a good movie. And, and, and it just, it, man, it's, it's awesome. You had a lot of fun. You wanted to watch it again. What's the first thing you do? You tell somebody. You go and you evangelize for the movie. You evangelize for that, that rack of ribs, right? You go and evangelize. So this is what he's saying when he says you left, you left your first love is that your doctrine and your theology is jammed up, but, but you're not in love with me anymore. It's not moving you out. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that I am compelled, I am controlled by the love of Christ. I'm moving outward here. Well, we see this exact opposite problem in Thyatira, that they had not left their first love. They were going out. They were moving. They were speaking of the Lord. They were standing up for what they were believing in. But the problem is, is that their doctrine was suffering. We said on the first half of it in Ephesus is that they, they had their theology down. That's great. I'm not against theology at all. I love theology. I'm always talking about it. My wife tells me I need to chill out. But on the other end of it, if your theology causes you not to go out, then we're more in love with being right than we are our Savior. But, but here, let's, let's continue on. It says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter work exceeds the first. He's saying that you have grown in your, your adoration of Christ, which is propelling you out. It's, it's making you endure with people, be patient with people. You see, the, the, the really good theologians that I know, many of them, they are not patient with people at all. And I, I can, I've, I've, I've been on the edge of this too. I, it, you know, when you see somebody with an incorrect doctrine, you just want to smack them upside the head. Amen. Right? <laughs> you do. But if you find someone who is just, and you see this too, you see this too, you've got these two uh, extremes in, in America right now, in extreme fundamentalism and extreme liberalism in the Christian church. One says, 
that you can only do this, 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 and this. We can't accept anybody and, and, and it's holiness and, and we, we're opposed to the world. And this is what that looks like. You know, if anybody comes around here, they're going to have to answer to me in my 357 Magnum. But then you've got the whole other end of the spectrum that says, oh, we just love everybody. Come with all your beliefs. And we've got, oh, all, every extreme belief in Christianity is just welcome here, welcome. You see, I see on the church signs, all are welcomed. Really? The Jehovah's Witnesses who teaching everybody in your church that Jesus isn't God, is he welcome? Wait a minute, Brandon, are you saying people aren't welcome in your church? Some people, yeah. Don't we have to be there? So in one sense, sure, all are welcome. You're all welcome to come in here and hear about Jesus. But you're not welcome to come in here and teach false doctrine. We've got to have balance. So here we see that Thyatira is doing good in their love and faith and service and patient endurance. They're very enduring. But this endurance seemingly has gotten into a place of uh, not so good stuff. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Hold on, hold on a second, Pastor. Last week you, you said you need to repent because you won't judge people enough. And this week, you need to repent because you're not tolerant enough. I mean, because you're too tolerant. Amen. Now, this is the most anti-cultural message that I've ever heard, maybe. I mean, the whole world looks at this and says, y'all crazy. This church is going to die. You're telling people that they need to repent because they're not judgmental enough, and they need to repent because they're too tolerant. Amen. I'm just reading the Bible. Okay, don't shoot the messenger. <clears throat> Let's listen to what he says. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So he says, good for you that you're getting out there and, and, and you're, you're talking to people. You're letting your faith be known. You, 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 you're standing for Christ. You, you, you're going out and you're loving on people. Man, you, you, you talk about Jesus all day long. But... I have this against you, you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, we've seen that much of the compromise in Pergamum and much of the compromise that was uh, being, uh, 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 I guess, they're being tempted or they're being attacked with this type of compromise, this type of temptation is that they are being tempted with things that look really good to the flesh. So you've got, in all of this uh, temple worship and these trade guilds, and they would have these uh, organized meetings and gatherings to which they would come and they would pay homage to emperors, and, and they would get favors as well, sexual favors. And they would see things that they shouldn't see, which would draw out of them lust, and, and it would draw out of them sexual morality and impurities. And, and he's saying here, he's saying, look, you've got this person among you, this Jezebel, and it uses Jezebel, if you remember in the Old Testament was a, uh, a wicked woman who, uh, who led Ahab to sin against God, who led all of these different people to do what? To commit sexual immoral acts and to eat food sacrificed to idols, which is all to say what? To compromise their faith in God for the pleasures of the flesh and the building of selfish 
tendencies or, or, or expectations or whatever you might want to say. They were compromising their faith in order to build up themselves. They wanted to be a part of the culture so bad. They wanted to fulfill their own lust and their own flesh so bad that they were willing to throw God away. Well, here, this Jezebel, uh, this, this woman Jezebel, I don't think, and I think that this is absolutely figurative language, I don't think there was a literal woman named Jezebel, but it's almost like, and, and this is my language, just to help you to kind of understand this, this, this type of teaching, it's almost like this, this group or these false teachers were coming in a spirit of Jezebel. They were coming in, in, in the same type of way that Jezebel came, teaching the same type of things that Jezebel taught. It says, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Basically what he's saying is, is that I've got the, the eyes of fire, the eyes of flaming fire. I can see who she really is. I can see who they really are. Can you not see? Can you not see? If you're walking with Christ, if you're talking with Christ, then it should not be just love and, 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 and patient endurance. It shouldn't be just that, but it should be accurate dividing lines that help us doctrinally to separate ourselves from those who would be false teachers and to shut that stuff down. We need to be more like Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in that section of Scripture, Paul speaks about uh, that there are no real idols. There's no real idols that anybody would even sacrifice to. So all this food that's sacrificed to idols, it's really not sacrificed to any gods. So why would there be this big, huge problem with this Jezebel teaching other people to eat food sacrificed to idols? Let me read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because I think that this will be uh, very revealing to us. He says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. There are no gods that these, uh, these feasts are actually, or these uh, sacrifices are actually being made to, that this is all silly nonsense. That's what Paul's saying. But, for although, they, uh, for all their, although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he's talking about authorities, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from who from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now, why did I read that text? Here's, here's the deal. We've talked about this a little bit in here before, but it's in the text, so we need to talk about it again, at least briefly. There are those of you in here who are at one level of your spiritual maturity. There are those of you in here who are at a certain place in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your understanding of, of theology and your understanding of Scripture of who Christ really is and who you really are in Christ. 
And for those people, they have a certain uh, measure of freedom. Paul says, I'm free to do all things, but not all things are beneficial to me. When, when it comes to the question of just how far can I go in my freedoms, and we can, we can put a whole gamut of things on the table to discuss uh, with regards to should I or should I not drink alcohol? Should I or should I not partake in certain activities? Should I or should I not uh, enter into relationships with certain people in business and things like this? Should I or should I not do this or should I or should I not do that? Should I eat this type of food? Should I do this type of thing? And the reason that we have questions is that it's not explicitly taught in the Bible that this or that is wrong. So we have to then make a judgment call based on what? Based on the scriptures, number one, and number two, based on our freedom in Christ Jesus. And what we need to understand is that not everyone's level of freedom is as recognized as everyone else's. And so therefore, I might be free to have a drink, or I might be free to do this thing or that thing, but my brother may very well not be free to do that. And for me, it may not be a sin. See, this is where fundamentalists have a really hard time. And this is where liberals have a really, good, really hard time. Because the fundamentalist wants to say, since I can't do it, no one can. And the liberal says, since I can do it, everyone can. But the problem is, is that there's a such thing as Christian conscience. And I, I had a conversation with a man a long time ago, and this is when I was still learning, but I, I think I had this part, the Lord had showed me this, because I made this statement that, no, but I know this one thing, and I said, got it, kind of got it right. Man, right in front of everybody. You need to repent for that later. All right. Just kind of kidding. So I made the statement. I said that writing with a blue ink pen could be a sin. I made the statement. Writing with a blue ink pen, and this happens to be blue. I didn't plan that. Writing with a blue ink pen can be a sin. Right? And no. Writing with a blue ink pen can never be a sin. Well, what if in your heart of hearts that you really feel as if God has told you don't write with a blue ink pen? What if you're absolutely convinced that God has called you not to write with a blue ink pen? You, you're convinced in your mind, but you say, oh, it can't be a sin to write with a blue ink pen. Forget about that. God, I'm going to write with this blue ink pen. Have you sinned? Why? It's because it wasn't actually the writing with the blue ink pen that was a sin, it was your disobedience because you felt as if God had called you not to do it, but you said, I'm going to do it anyway. Anything that doesn't come from faith is a sin. And therefore, uh, some would say that you should never uh, marry because it's a sin. But we know that's not scriptural. That's silly. But it could be that a man or a woman may be separated and set apart by God and called to a life of celibacy so that they might focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's what they, that God has called them to do, then we say, amen, praise the Lord. But that does not mean that that, that, that removal of freedom is, is to be cast on everyone. We see Paul having to deal with that in 1 Timothy. So here we see that, he, that this 
woman Jezebel is, is seducing them and, and calling them into this place to eat food sacrifice to idols and into sexual immorality. And you say, well, how can that be a problem? Because we're, we're, set, we're told that we can eat food sacrifice to idols. Well, obviously, this is deeper than that. And we're going to see that in just a second when it says that some of you have not, uh, you have not learned the deep things of Satan. You see, how far are you willing to go in your compromise of the gospel? How far are you willing to go to lead others to compromise in the gospel? You see, some of us are so hardcore about our freedoms that we are absolutely willing to kill somebody else in their walk. I see this all the time in, in these new Calvinists. We're free to do whatever we want to do. I, I see this all the time. I see it, I see it all the time. And, and with our, uh, our brothers who are in the fundamental churches and who are in the very super conservative churches, that, that they don't have those freedoms. And for good reasons. It's not like they just they hate you and they don't want you to have these freedoms. They are thoroughly convinced in their mind that this is what the Scriptures teach, and they are absolutely unwilling to compromise their beliefs and their faiths in order to go down that road. But I have seen so many Christians who I actually believe are more mature in their understandings of the freedom that Christ has given us. Okay? That's my opinion. I have seen them bash our brother who is the fundamentalist. Just because he's a fundamentalist doesn't mean that he's not our brother. We should not bash him because he doesn't have those freedoms. We should not bash him because he is unwilling to compromise the faith. We shouldn't bash him and throw him under the bus because he's trying everything that he can to stay faithful and pure before God. No. As a matter of fact, as Paul teaches, that we are to forego our freedoms in order to preserve his faith. In order to build him up. So, And, and how many of you? I'm going to call you on the carpet. I've been guilty of this. Just to spite your fundamental brother, you exercise your freedom in a taunting way in front of him. That's absolutely sinful. Sinful and divisive. You, if you know me, and if you've been here for a long time, you know that I'm not a KJVO guy, and I don't really care for that position, which is King James Version only. Okay? Now, I like the King James Version. I really do. But I have a problem with the KJV-only guys. We can talk about that another time. But just for example, if I go to a church to preach and I'm invited, and I've, this has literally happened to me before, and as I go into that, that, that church, I carry, not unknowingly, wasn't thinking at that time about their position, carried, I think it was an NIV then, quite a while back, carried an NIV into the church, and a uh, pastor who loves me, I know he loves me, uh, we went into his office to pray before the service. At that time, this is, good Lord, how many years ago was that? 2000, this is probably 15 years ago, okay? I had an earring in my ear. I still got where the hole was. Had an earring in my ear and my NIV in my hand. He called me into his office. We prayed, and he says, Brandon, he said, uh, I called you to come and speak here because I believe God's doing an amazing thing in your life. He says, but if you're going to preach, you're going to have to use this, hand me a KJV, and he said, you're going to have to take the earring out. 
So as, I, as he was getting the KJV, I was taking my earring out. Yes, sir. No problem. Why? I could have argued with him. I, was, I think at that time I was in school and I had just learned all this stuff about translation. So I could have took my theology and said, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Know-it-all. But, I, but I wouldn't, at that time I would have never thought even to do that. Why? Why? Because I was eager to preach the Word of God. And this freedom that I had was nothing to get to, to, get to proclaim the Word of God. So we see that, that just because you're able to do something doesn't mean that you should do something. And we know at this time there was, there was a prominent atmosphere, a prominent culture of worshiping false deities with uh, the act of sacrificing food to idols. And they really thought that it was being sacrificed to those, to those idols. And so when this Jezebel came in and she led them to, 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 to engage in this sexual morality and to eat this meat, she was leading them astray. She was leading them astray. It, we don't have to beat that horse anymore. But here's the bottom line, is that you need to guard yourself and guard those around you. You are called as a believer in Christ to build up your own faith through the Word of God. Allow Christ to work through you, through the Spirit, to build your faith in God and your understanding of who Christ is, and also to come alongside your brothers who are stronger and are weaker, and to build up their faith too in their non-compromising attitude and their, 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 their perseverance and their steadfastness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Christ says about those who give over to this sexual morality, who give over to this compromise, and who are leading others to do the same. He says, I gave her time to repent. This right here tells us that Christ is absolutely patient. You see, he has eyes of, of a flaming fire. He has a sword in his mouth. He has feet of bronze. And, and he has every right and, and, and every reason to just pop you like a pimple to destroy you where you stand. But man, is he long-suffering. Man, is he patient. Man, is he kind. Even to give the, 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 the Jezebel time to repent. For those, who would, for those who would promote this false teaching, time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. The title of this message is uh, Sleeping with the Enemy. See, we tend to think of uh, uh, cultural compromise, we tend to think of it as an isolated event that has no effect on the rest of the stuff that we do in our life. We tend to think that when we compromise in one little way, well, that's just this thing over here, and that was done in private, and that was done where nobody else would know. And so it's okay, because I can go back over here in my Christianity, and I can live over here, and I just come over here from time to time to dabble, and then I go back over here and live my life. I come back over here to dabble, and then I go back over here to live my life. I've been guilty of this. And I'll tell you what's the truth. That's a lie straight from hell. Because what you do when you compromise in 
cultural ways or in any ways, in any sinful ways, when you compromise Christ, when you are unfaithful to Christ, then you are necessarily sleeping with the enemy. And you can, not to get too graphic, but, but when you sleep with someone, you're inviting every disease, every problem, every germ. This is, an exchange. This is why Paul says that, that sexual morality is unlike the other sins. Because you're joining yourself together. The two are becoming one. You're exchanging fluids. You are getting a part of her and she is getting a part of you. And you can, you start to be able, you start to have a hard time telling which is which. And so as you, you think about that, as you, as you compromise, as you compromise your faith in Christ with the world, you are actually whoring around on God, sleeping with the world, and everything that you, that you became a part of, you bring back to join together with God. And it affects, oh, we lie to ourselves. We say, oh, it's just me. Oh, it's, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me. All of you men looking at pornography, you just say, oh, it's just me. They don't nobody know I'm doing this. Yeah, right. They might, not, they might not know that you're doing that, but they feel the effects of you doing that. I talk and counsel with guys all the time, and it destroys marriages. You dabble in, in, in ungodly business practices and you think that it's, that it's fine. Everyone around you is going to reap what you're sowing. You think that it's okay to tell a little lie over here, to do this little thing over here, and it absolutely is not. You, are, you become joined together with that thing. It says that she refuses to repent of her sexual morality, but behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. This sickbed, this idea of going onto a sickbed, is the idea of suffering and tribulation. And so what he is saying here is, is that if you lay down with those who are sick, if you lay down and you, and you are intimate with those who are diseased, then you will be diseased too. You, you can't do that. You can't just dabble. How many men I've heard of over the years have been found out in an adulterous affair by the disease that they gave to their wife or vice versa? Oh, how did I get this? I haven't been with anybody. Your man has, and he brought it home. This is what he's saying. You cannot lay down with the world and think that it's not going to affect your life and the life of everyone around you. You say, that's a disgusting picture. He painted it. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. The beautiful thing is that he offers hope here if we would repent, which is what? Turning back to Christ. 
I told you last week that we will never overcome sin by facing sin and fighting against it, but we will only overcome sin by turning our back on it and walking towards Christ because to become one with Christ is to be separated from the world. Husbands, wives, I'm afraid that many of you, this message is going pew. We got some young couples in here, some young studly couples, good-looking couples in here, right? Oh. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, brother. You're welcome. I, I really fear for you. I do. I really fear for you. And if you think, is he talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. You've got such weight on you. You know, Keith, he's old, you know. He, 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 he's, a, he's a professor. He, you know, he's, it's, it's, it's going to be a little, it's just going to be a little bit easier for him. He's not expected to do stupid stuff like that. Now, you could fall. I mean, obviously, we all could. I could fall. I'm a pastor of this church, so people's looking at me with a, with a magnifying glass. It, it stinks sometimes, but it actually helps sometimes. I can't just walk over to the liquor store beside Roadrunner and grab a pint. <laughs> Not without my hood, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that really was a joke. I don't ever buy liquor around here. <laughs> I had to get that in there, you know. No, no, just kidding, kind of. So, what was I saying? Oh, oh, oh. The young studly couples in here, you know? You, you, uh, you're right in the heart of that culture that's that compromising, tolerant, everything's okay, uh, this, this, this spirit of relativity that... Whatever goes, it's cool as long as as long as you don't hurt anybody, which is the big lie, or 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 as long as you don't hurt yourself, or you know whatever. It's good for you. It's it's fine if it's fun. Just do it. <laughs> um, but I'm telling you right now, when you buy into that. When you buy into that, because it won't, I mean, like, nobody ever starts out with saying, I want to be impotent because I look at porn so much. Nobody ever starts out with, with I want to be an, a raging alcoholic who has turned away every one of his kids and beaten them within an inch of his life. Nobody starts out that way. Nobody starts out with, I want to be uh, an adulterer who ruined my family's life because I couldn't stop having uh, extramarital affairs. Nobody ever starts out with wanting to be in a junk house in, in the other side of Greenville in some hood that, that they're in this crack house and they've got needles sticking out of their arm. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody starts there. But what do they start with? I want to go out and have some drinks, even though I know I don't have the freedom to do that. I, I'm just going to take a quick glance, not even at the, the, the screen, but just as at this woman walking by, you know, just get a little look at her. Maybe a little second look because it was a nice first look. 
I, I won't, you know, I'll just dabble a little bit into this and then dabble a little bit into that. And, and, and you do that because, one, it feels good, but, but, two, the people around you are doing it too. And what does it have? So many times it happens this way. Is that a point of evangelism? I, I know that it happens even in the name of Christ. I'll go to this place or I'll go to that place or I'll make this compromise or I'll make that compromise in order that I'll build a relationship with them so that I can might present the gospel to them down the road. We, well, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus wasn't drunk. I'm just saying, you have to be so very careful, and you need to examine yourself to see what level of freedom that you can partake in, and when you should say, no, this is too far from me because I've got to stay married to Jesus Christ. I cannot give in in this way. I cannot lay down with the enemy. Behold, I will throw her under a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. There's a chance for you, even as I speak to you right now, maybe, maybe you and your, your wife or you and your girlfriend, you're looking to get married. Maybe y'all are uh, doing some, maybe going out with some friends and partying with some friends, and then you have this lifestyle at the church, you know, that you come to, and, and you're hanging on to that profession of faith, you know, that, well, I said that prayer one time, and I, I you know, I'm saved, I'm saved, but we've already seen that it's only those who uh, conquer, only those who stay true to the very end that, that receive the crown of life, but, but you're hanging on to that. You say, oh, I can, I can be part of this world. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that, you know, you, you're lying on your taxes and you're, you're cheating the people that work with you or for you or, or you're cheating your boss on the time card or whatever else you say, oh, that's just over here. It ain't got nothing to do with my faith. But, 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 but God is saying, you've compromised, you've traded me for these fleshly desires or for these uh, deceitful lies or for whatever else it is. You've traded me. Repent, turn away from that and be who you claim to be. Be for me. You've got a chance. He says, uh, unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children down. So he says, unless they repent, they're going to be struck dead. Again, I, I, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be too hard on people. I'm just trying to give you the truth because this is the truth. You cannot be a halfway Christian. You can't. It, you can't. You will be found out. You will be found out. And you will die. Or you will live, depending on what's found out. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according uh, to your works. This uh, phrase here that uh, it, it says, uh, and all the churches will know that I am he. This is an allusion to the many times uh, in Ezekiel where the Lord writes, and that they might know that I am God and there is no other. That, that they might know that I am God. That they might know that I am God. You see, this is only highlighting the attributes of Christ that he's already told, and, told us is that when the Lord separates and distinguishes who is and who isn't, you will then know that I am God, that I am Christ. Christ is the one with the flaming eyes. He is the one that sees all the way down through all of the, the baloney that you're putting forth, all the facade that you put out there, all the image that you're building, he sees through all of that. And when he does see through all of that, then you will know, then you will know that he is God. And some of you are getting found out even as I speak the word of God. 
And I want you to know as you're being convicted right now and as you're squirming in your seat and as you're justifying these actions in your mind that you and whoever's been doing as you are justifying your compromise, I want you to know that do not set aside that, that conviction. Do not set aside that judgment. Do not set aside that word from God that is entering in your heart, but you allow it to evidence who Jesus really is, and that's God Almighty who you need to bow down to. It's happening right now. I guarantee it. He says, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But works don't matter. It's just about faith. You need to read all the Bible. We need to read all the Bible. Here's uh, Turn over with me to Psalm 2 quickly running out of time, but this is uh, worth looking at here. <clears throat> I want to show you, we're going to look in two more sections of Scripture. I've got a bunch more, but we've got time for these. Psalm chapter 2. I think also we'll look at Jeremiah 17, Numbers 24. <laughs> we'll see what we've got time for. I just want to read all of Psalm 2, <clears throat> and I want, you to, I want you to let this weigh in on what you've been taught, being taught here today. Listen to this. It says, why do the nations rage and the, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's going to be absolutely crucial. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest his anger, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Is that not just, it makes me feel like a man. I want you to see two things out of that. Highlights two attributes of Christ. One is the absolute total destruction for anybody who stands against him with the rod of iron. You see it? He says that he will, uh, uh, he says that in uh, verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You stand against the Lord and see what happens. But... There is another highlighted attribute of Christ here as well. And this is all talking about the Son who is named the King, the Son of God. It says here in the last, it says, Kiss the Son, in verse 12, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So what we see here is Christ ruling with a rod of iron twofold. 
One is, is that everyone who stands against him and his people will be dashed and smashed to pieces like an earthen vessel, like a potter's vessel. It'll be crushed. It will not stand. It will not be able to. But also a protective refuge that would be for all of those who trust in him and he would guard them with the rod of iron. And so the breaking of the earthen vessels, the breaking of those who would contradict and be contrary and compromise to the Lord Jesus Christ and, in, and necessarily to his people, the protection is, is that no one would stand against Christ or his people, and if they come against them, they will be destroyed. For all those who come into the presence of Christ will be protected with the same rod of iron. It is a shepherd's rod as well. I want to read on here in Revelation, and we're going to move around just a little bit, a few things to draw together, and we'll be done. Verse 24, it says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you uh, any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Now, I, if I had a bunch of time, I would go and, and look a little bit into the deep things of Satan. What I'll do is I'll touch on that just briefly, and I'll say this. Is that when he speaks of the deep things of Satan, many believe, and I think that they are correct, is that he is using a play on words here because the scriptures often uh, speak of the deep things of God. And so what we have here in the false teachers is this, this, this drawing of the people of God to compromise in the ways, and I believe what he's teaching here, or what he's uh, warning them about, is those that would teach the unbiblical use of freedom the unbiblical use of freedom so it would look something like this is that those in this church that was had the spirit of Jezebel they would come alongside which is almost the exact same problem that Balaam and Balak had if you remember that is that that they would come alongside of believers and they would say things uh, like this uh, it's okay, you can do that. It's permitted by God. Go and read what Paul wrote, something to that effect. You can do that. And then this believer may say something to the degree of, well, I, th I think those are, are, the, that food's been sacrificed. I don't know if I, oh, don't worry about that. Don't, this is what everybody's doing. Come on, you can be a part of this. Let's go, Let we, let's go, let's go do this thing. Let's go out and, and have some drinks tonight. Well, I, I just was taught when I was growing up that you shouldn't drink, and I just have a conviction that, that, that we just shouldn't do that. Oh, it's okay? Jesus turned the water into wine? It's okay? Have you a drink? Go ahead. You see this? It's this drawing into a place of sinfulness, and you say, well, I can have a drink and it not be but he can't. It's this drawing to this place. And so we see this, 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 they would disguise this as, oh, this is a deeper teaching. But John here is saying that's not a deep teaching of God. That's a deep teaching of Satan. And, and as I was reading one commentator, he brought out a, a good point. He said if you look at the Greek in, in, in its literal sense, it actually would read like this, uh, the depths of Satan. <laughs> so as you plunge those deep things, you are actually just partaking in the depths of Satan. So you see how the word of God can just be twisted in order to not just compromise, 
but to conflate and to draw in the worship of these false deities and the sins of the flesh as worship of God. Does that make sense? So, therefore, many of you who have bought into this, you think that you get drunk to the glory of God, that you're that free. Or it would look something other like this. I can look at the pornography. I'm saved. I can, I can flirt with that waitress when my wife's not here because I'm a good husband. Who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of God, the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. What was the, what was the, uh, the, the, uh, the burden? It says, only hold fast what you have until I come, the one who conquers uh, and who keeps my works until the end. Flip over, or I'll just read it for you. Acts chapter 15. Listen to what um, uh, is laid out for them here. In 15 verse 28, it says here, it says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. He is telling them to remain pure. To remain pure. Don't compromise in these ways. Don't go down those paths. Just abstain. And I'll tell you this. For a man who is... If you in this room, if you're saying, well, I'm not sure if I've got the freedom to do these things or if I, if I do have the freedom to do I'm not sure whether I do or don't. Just don't. Just don't. Freedom is only established through Christ the Son. And when you have comfort and your relationship with God and you sought the Lord and you sought the Spirit and the, the Spirit has given you that spirit of freedom and He has freed you to do those things, then talk to your pastors. Talk to your mature, godly brothers to say, I, I'm, I'm looking at doing this thing, whatever it might be, and I think I have the freedom to do this. What's your opinion of this as you look at the Word of God? Don't go assuming freedoms that you may not have. It says, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earth, earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you will, turn with me to Numbers chapter 24. We'll end here today. Numbers chapter 24. Here's one other place where I just, man, it's just so beautiful how the Word of God comes together. So beautiful how the Word of God comes together. Now, I want to I draw this together just a little bit here. <clears throat> He's speaking here of compromising. He just got finished writing the letter to Pergamum in which he uh, nailed the Nicolaitans as teaching the same type of uh, uh, 
lesson or teaching the same type of false doctrine or doing the same thing that Balaam was doing uh, at the request of Balak. And, and uh, Balak was, was commended and taught by Balaam to put a stumbling block in front of the people of Israel that they might fall and turn their back on God. Well, Jezebel did the exact same thing. She led the, the children of, of Israel, and Ahab, she led these guys down this, uh, this path of compromise that they might partake of things that would wound them and take them ultimately away from God. It started out with a little, and then it just continued to grow. Whereas in the end, they were worshiping Baal, they were uh, committing sexually immoral acts, and they were far, far, far from the God that they had professed and believed in all those years. Well, this promise in verses 24 through uh, 28 is a beautiful promise of the Lord that he will protect those who are his from that very thing. And that promise, I suggest to you, was made in Numbers chapter 24. It was prophesied in Numbers chapter 24, and it is coming to fruition in Revelation chapter 2. Listen to this. Numbers chapter 24, we're going to read, uh, let's read verses 14 through 19. <clears throat> let's go back up to verse 13 to give a little more context. If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. You see, he was basically saying Balak had offered him the house. He had offered him his, his heart's desiring gold and silver. And he says, I can't. I would, but I can't because the Lord will not let me. Now listen to what he says. Remember that we are talking in Revelation about the spirit of compromise. And we're talking about Balaam and Balak who would lead the people astray, right? Check this out. He says, what the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know. He's speaking to Balak. Now, Balaam's speaking to Balak. He says, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter day. In the latter day. Now, what is Revelation about? It's about the latter day. Okay? So, Balaam is telling Balak, if it was up to me, I would curse him for the house of silver. I would, but I'm going to speak to you what the Lord is making me speak to you, and I'm going to show you what will happen to your people by this people in the latter day. Listen to what he says. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall 
shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemy shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. You see it. You see it. He is telling the church that those who persevere and do not compromise will be this with this star. Who is the star? Who is the star that will rise in Numbers 24? It is Christ who is the morning star. Christ is the one who will rise. Christ is the one who will rule. Christ is the one with the scepter. Christ will never be turned uh, away. Christ will never lose. He is always victorious. He is the one who conquers. He is the one who lasts through death. And all of you, all of us who enter in through him will be those who persevere till the end and will rule victorious. It is Christ who is the morning star. And those of you who do not compromise, you are the ones that will valiantly rule with a scepter of iron with Christ. With Christ. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. People of God, you may forego some freedoms. You may really want to look at that thing or take that drink or get that money. And you may think, which a lot of unbelievers I talk to, they think this very same thing. It's too expensive to come to Christ. I don't get to do the things I want to do. I don't, I don't, I got to give up so many things. I got to give up friends. I got to give up family. I got to give up, yeah, maybe so. I know when I became a believer, I lost nearly every friend I had. which we start to have to look at the definition of friend, but they all, but you know what? I had Jesus. See you when I see you. Peace. We get back to that dividing line. If... And we've just been talking about alcohol. Alcohol is just one thing, but I don't believe that it's said in the scriptures that drinking alcohol is a sin, period. But you know what? For many, it is. And for many, they shouldn't touch it. And for those of you who feel like you have the freedom to do it, don't ever look down on your brother who says that he doesn't have the freedom or he's unwilling to compromise don't call him a liar because there's such thing as a Christian conscience and I'm going to tell you what right now if you've got to forsake never drink another drop of alcohol in your entire life because you've got a good friend who feels like it's a sin then, then don't sacrifice the friend for the alcohol for goodness sake Amen. young people in here 
Your, your parents might go to a fundamental Baptist church somewhere. And they might be absolutely offended or torn all to pieces because you, these newfangled churches, teach you can drink alcohol and you done went over there and got brainwashed and now you're drinking beer and liquor. Don't ever drink in front of your parents again. And maybe just stop. If it keeps your mama up at night because you're drinking beer, then you... It's then it becomes it's not even the drinking that's a sin necessarily, but you're the fact that you won't, you won't give it up and you make your mama live in, in torment because you love alcohol more than her feelings. Dang. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Brandon. You're you telling me that to, to be a Christian, I might have to give up? Yeah. Well, salvation is a free gift. A free gift that costs you everything. I'm not trying to put man-made rules and regulations on you. I'm telling you to search the scriptures and search your heart. I'm telling you to search the, the spirit of the Lord and, and allow him to speak into your life. And listen, if it's not explicitly written in the scripture, I'm not going to come with a sledgehammer and start hitting you with it. But I'm going to tell you what right now. If your mama comes to me and says she's torn on apart because you're getting drunk every night, I'm going to come talk to you about it. Because I love you. Because I love you. You say you're being legalist. Well, last week he said I was liberal. So what am I going to do? Man, we gotta be, we've got to be faithful in season and out of season. We cannot compromise. We cannot hurt other people. We cannot give up on the Word of God because we think we've got the right. It's not about you. It's about Christ. As we all stand to our feet, here's what I want to do today. Some of you might think that I was advocating one thing or another. I'm not. There are many people in this room who think they can have a beer. I'm not going to condemn them. The Bible doesn't. There are many people in here that think that, that you should never have a beer. I'm not going to condemn them. The Bible doesn't. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to pick up my word. I'm going to see what type of freedoms I have. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to examine my own heart. And we can look at the fruit that, that I bear and the fruit that you bear and let's talk about that some more but what I want to ask you is where's your heart at because what I've seen is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks that that out of the heart the, 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 this this life is just flowing out so it's these oh these are all heart issues these are all heart issues where are you at in your walk with Christ where are you at in your study of the scriptures where are you at in your relationships around you uh, do you do you continually compromise the gospel or do you continually compromise those brothers and sisters around you because you're bound and determined to do what you want to do some of you the sins that you have in your life that might not necessarily be sins to anyone else is just going off like a red light in your mind going off like a red light in your mind because the Spirit is convicting you, saying, you need to give that up. That's not right. You need to make this right with your family. You need to make this right with your wife. You need to make this right with whoever. You need to get over yourself, and you need to put aside all of your selfish desires and all of your so-called freedoms, and you need to honor Christ with every part of your life. If you've got sin in your life, I offer to you this morning exactly what Christ offered to the Thyatira Church, and that is repentance. Repent. If you've got some sin in your life, stop. Pray that the Lord would grant you repentance. Lay that thing down at the foot of the cross and stop doing it. It may be sexual immorality. It may be 
alcohol. It may be pornography. It may be drugs. It may be lying. It may be stealing, cheating, whatever. Whatever it is. If there is something causing you to be separated from Christ, lay it down. It's not worth it. It could be unforgiveness for many of us. Might be. Lay it down today. Let's make Christ central in everything. And let's repent. And let's come to Christ. The front is open if you'd like to talk to me or you can, you can do business with God where you stand. Let's just do business with God.